This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. Hello, Professor Gershon. Good morning, Liz, and I hope you had a great weekend. Um, Today, we're going to be having a topic on the show that is really timely, given the recent tragic shootings uh, in in Nashville, the the school shooting. Um, And we we are pleased to welcome back um, our expert on on gun law. uh, And he's been on the show before and and talked about other topics as well. But Reed Martz and, uh, you know, an attorney here in Oxford. We're really glad to have Reed on the show Reed, welcome back to the show. Would, would you share a little bit about your background and how you became interested in the Second Amendment and, and gun law? Good morning. Yes, uh, I'm glad to be back. The Second Amendment, right to bear arms, uh, was something that I was always interested in just growing up. I, I like guns and knives and shooting and just uh, gadgets in general. Uh, it, it shoots, sprays, or cuts. I probably have two of them. So uh, when I went to law school, it was just a natural fit. I became interested in it and uh, started looking at it more and more. As we were talking about before the show started, it was very fortuitous timing, providential timing, in fact. Uh, I graduated from law school in December of 2003, and uh, just a few years later, there was this monumental decision from uh, District of Columbia versus Heller in 2008 that really changed everything. Uh, To that point, the Second Amendment and the rights that are protected by the Second Amendment um, had not been given a lot of uh, attention, and that all changed in 2008. A couple years later, there was another case, and then most recently last year, there was uh, a third uh, Supreme Court case that's really completely changed the landscape from when um, I was in law school in the early 2000s. So, you know, we're we're here now and, and uh, I know there's going to be a lot of debate about uh, about guns, but let's talk about Mississippi and Mississippi's uh, statute and the state of the law in Mississippi. Um, Mississippi's law is a shall, Mississippi is a shall issue state. Uh, what What exactly is a shall issue state? Uh, sh- sure. So shall issue means that if you meet the statutory requirements, you shall be issued a license to carry a firearm. But if you want to take one step back from that, Mississippi several years ago uh, became what most people, and I think correctly, call uh, a permitless state. Uh, It had been for a number of years in certain instances, and that was just made blanket um, beyond your home place of business or your occupied vehicle. So in Mississippi, you do not even have to have a license to carry a firearm is assuming that you are uh, otherwise qualified. You're not a prohibited person or anything else. You can carry that uh, firearm on your person openly or concealed without a license. But uh, there is a a mechanism to get one of two types of licenses to carry a concealed weapon that has some benefits uh, for reciprocity with other states and things of that sort. 
if you look at the statute, which is uh, section 45-1-101, excuse me, 45-9-101, if you meet those criteria, you shall be issued a permit. And that's what it means as opposed to um, other states which had been may issue. Uh, That was a primary issue in the 2022 case of New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin. Uh, That was a May issue. You had to show good cause in that. Mississippi has never had that standard. We're talking today about gun rights and what are the laws in Mississippi in our country We want to be law-abiding, so we want to know what the laws are. We've talked in the past, if you don't like the laws, how to get them changed. But today we're learning what the laws are so we can all be uh, good law-abiding citizens of the state of Mississippi. You can send us your questions by email. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. Well, and it's it's good to be talking to Reed about this subject. It's an important subject. And and Reed, um, what um, you mentioned prohibited persons. What, who would be prohibited from uh, you know having a license to to buy a fire or to have a firearm? Okay. Uh, well, I, I'm going to make the distinction between uh, owning, bearing, possessing a firearm, and carrying a firearm uh, because. Obviously, you can't carry a firearm if you're not allowed to own a firearm. The primary authority for that is a federal statute. Uh, That's what is called the prohibited persons. The uh, most common prohibited person is someone with a felony conviction. There are also disqualifications for persons who um, have been adjudicated mentally incompetent, who have a misdemeanor conviction of domestic violence, who are addicted to drugs or alcohol, and and a few other things. But those are the most common uh, types of prohibited persons, uh, felons. That's that's, so that's important to know. So it's, you know, when we, when we talk about, um, you know, shall issue, there are some categories of people that, that are are prohibited from owning a gun. And one thing that I, excuse me, Professor Richard Gershon, one thing that I find is interesting is, you know, with the law, every single word is nuanced and it's particular, and we would hope that our uh, legislators, when they draft bills, you know, they exactly know what word they mean and they mean the and intend that. Uh, Reed, when you mentioned um, people who were addicted to drugs, I wonder if that some people are probably addicted to drugs and aren't, um, I don't know, diagnosed with that. Uh, is that is is there you have to have, you know, you're in a treatment plan or you've had a doctor's say that or who do you know? How has the legislature said how that is qualified? Yes, ma'am. Uh, so it depends on what law we're talking about, whether it's the uh, federal law or uh, in in uh, this case, Mississippi's uh, permit law. For instance, it says uh, you're are not qualified to have a license if you chronically or habitually abuse controlled substances to the extent that normal faculties are impaired. It doesn't have to be a judicial declaration that you are a chronic drug abuser to disqualify you. 
Uh, in fact, some of your listeners will be aware that there's been uh, quite a bit of controversy regarding uh, President Biden's son, Hunter, who uh, wrote a book and in that book admitted to being an active drug user while possessing a firearm. And so there have been a number of congressional hearings and questions that have been brought up of why was uh, this not prosecuted as a crime? The Secret Service was supposedly aware of it. He was disqualified under federal law because of his admitted drug use and possession of a firearm, or at least those are the accusations. So it does not have to be that you've been convicted of it or adjudicated to be uh, a drug addict to be disqualified. Now, enforcement is a different story than uh, simply the disqualification. You might be able to get away with it, but it doesn't make it legal. Well, and Reed, with that in mind, I mean, <clears throat> you know, there are gun shows uh, where, uh, you know, let's say I've got a gun collection and I go, you know, I go to, uh, you know, a gun show and I want to sell my guns to people. You know, how, how can I, how can I, as a, a, a person selling those guns to somebody, verify anything about whether they're qualified or disqualified? All right. Yes. So how you can do it is a different question than must you do it. To answer the, the second question first, no, you must not. You must not have actual knowledge or a reasonable uh, suspicion that this person lives out of state or would be a felon or something like that. But as long as you don't know that and don't have any reason to believe that, then that ends your obligation to conduct an investigation. However, um, in in the rare instances where I will either sell or trade a firearm, I insist on a bill of sale, as well as seeing the other person's identification. Primarily, that tells you, are they a resident of the same state as you? Because a private individual can't sell or trade a firearm with someone who is a resident of a different state. I work from two offices, one in Oxford, uh, one in Chattanooga, both are fairly close to the borders, but Chattanooga is extremely close to the Alabama as well as the Georgia border, but I'm a Tennessee resident. So I have to be particularly attentive to that. I want to see a Tennessee driver's license. But most people that I know, I, I hang around and I hope are fairly responsible circles, is uh, they request to see a firearm or a handgun license. And you know that that person has gotten a background check in order to get that license in the first place. The fact that they're showing it to you means it hasn't been revoked or confiscated. And that gives you some assurance. That's what I would look for. Oh, we are learning lots of nuanced and general knowledge today. We're taking your questions today on our email address, legalterms at mpbonline.org. We're discussing your right to bear arms in Mississippi with our guest, Attorney Reed Martz. Interested in how you can find out more about national laws? I'll tell you a resource next. This is in legal terms. Not everybody has a chance to listen to our show live, so if you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the show from our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. If you would like to read more about national firearms and regulations, check out the webpage for the ATF, our National Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. I don't know why it's not ATFE. Anyway, I, they've, a, they've added explosives. I didn't know that was part of it. 
we'll I'll have a link to their website on the information page for this for today's show. Today we're talking about your right to bear arms with our guest attorney Reed Martz. We've got a number of phone calls today. Let's go first to the coast and talk to Sam. Sam, we're so glad you've called in to in legal terms today. What's your comment or question? Yeah, thank you for taking my call. Um, I used to live out west, and we used to go out in the desert and shoot. Um, what's the laws on shooting on state land here? Uh, yeah, so in the west, there's a lot more federal uh, land than there is in our area. Generally, what you're going to want to do is check out, uh, first off, what land are you on? Is it a uh, national forest? Is it a state park? Is it a state forest? Whatever. And then... Um, go to the website or there are booklets out there that will specify what are the regulations for that, depending on the type of uh, land that you're on. Most uh, land that I'm familiar with, most public land does not permit uh, recreational or target shooting. It, um, you know, maybe for good reason, maybe not, but uh, nevertheless, most of them don't have wide open spaces where there are either official or unofficial shooting ranges like you would see out in um, Utah and other places with these large tracts of federal land. All right. Thank you. All right, Sam. Ooh, you have to have a good map. I love a good map that tells you uh, what kind of land that you're on. And that's part of being you know, responsible, knowing where you are and what your rules are. Let's next go to David in Horn Lake. David, thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms today. What's your comment or question? I got a question about the Constitution. I don't understand everybody hollers about their second right of rights and this, that, and other, and it's etched in stone or whatnot. But what I don't understand is, is that at the period of time in history when the Constitution came together and was written or whatnot, we didn't have the modern-day police force. We didn't have the National Guard to call up. And we didn't have FEMA, and uh, you know, I, and we didn't have the high capacity magazines and the military grade weapons that you can go buy and have not have any kind of training whatsoever. You don't have to. Uh, every, it seems like every week you hear about a child picking up a gun and getting shot and wounded or killed or whatnot. And I just don't understand why they don't uh, bump stocks, ghost guns. I mean, I, it, it's like the Wild West out there, and, and you know, I, I don't understand how come they can't amend it or whatnot, because personally, myself, I ain't got no problem anybody having a shotgun or having a revolver or whatnot, but this last school shooting in Nashville, they said that perpetrator fired 152 rounds. So I just, I just don't understand how come they can't get come together and, get, and, 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 and if you want to buy an assault rifle uh, with high-capacity magazines and whatnot, and you want to think you're a doomsday prepper, think the world's going to come to an end, then by God, it make sure you got special permits, make sure you've got a gun safe, make sure it's locked up and, and it can't, burger can't get in to get the guns. we got to get some kind of steps to get the guns off the streets so people start feeling safe again. All right, I'll... I'll shut up now and let you comment on that. David, thanks for calling in. Oh, Professor Gershon, we had our constitutional expert on last week. So uh, why don't you start and then uh, Reed Martz, our attorney, who's our guest today, can follow up. Well, and I, I think I think that was the that's the hundred million dollar question is really what did the Second Amendment intend? I mean, when you see you know, well-organized militia, that language in there. But as as Reed pointed out, I mean, I, I'm going to turn it back over to Reed because 
the Supreme Court at least has interpreted uh, the Second Amendment very broadly uh, to include, uh, you know, ownership. Of, uh, does it include also assault weaponry? Sure. So to go to David's question, I mean, David, certainly we have a procedure to amend the Constitution. It's been done in a number of situations. And if there was a sufficient number of people in states that wanted to change it to revoke, rescind, uh, or amend the Second Amendment, it, it could be done. Um, but that's what needs to be done. That That's the proper way to go about it rather than surreptitious um, bans and other things that run contrary to the intent. And certainly, uh, David, I, I respect and give you the uh, allowance to have your opinions regarding all of these things. But I do want to correct one thing. Uh, you use this term military grade weapons. I, I, I push back very strongly on that because at the time the Second Amendment was ratified, military grade weapons were owned and widely possessed by uh, anyone who wanted it. Uh, well, I should uh, there was some some qualifications on that because that was a time in which people owned other people. But uh, citizens were able to own, quote, military grade weapons, and they did. Uh, President Biden keeps going around and falsely saying that you can't own a cannon. Well, yes, you can. Uh, He says that you can't own a flamethrower. Yes, you can. Now, whether you should or not is, is subject to opinion. But the law is what it is. And a statement of fact is that military grade weapons were available to citizens at the time the Second Amendment was ratified. So, I, can I ask? You know, okay, so it's one thing to to, to own them. What's what is the protection in selling them? Uh, you know, there. I mean, could we? It seems to me that somebody's making a lot of money on on these weapons, uh, and uh, you know, the gun manufacturers, the, the gun sales people. There, do they? They don't have a second amendment right really to do that. It, it's the person who, you know, because it's about bearing arms. It's about the second amendment really isn't about selling. It's about possessing and owning. So could we put restrictions on sales? Uh, well, as you know, professor, there are certain distinctions between uh, commercial activities and individual activities and, and commercial activities. Commercial speech can be more strictly regulated than an individual speech. However, Every right carries with it certain um, obligations or restrictions on uh, what can be done. So uh, could you shut down gun manufacturers and say it's only a right to keep and bear? Well, no, because that would uh, eviscerate the right to keep and bear arms because you couldn't get them. I mean, how could you exercise the right if we shut down the mechanism by which to obtain a firearm? Uh, just the same as the, the First Amendment wouldn't allow you to, to ban the printing of books. Um, so, no, I, I don't think that we could uh, come in and, and ban or even significantly circumscribe the manufacture of firearms. But there are certain things that uh, could be done. I mean, it, there's a case going on right now in various appeal stages about uh, serializing weapons. And there was a a district judge who said that I have no obligation as the owner of a firearm to keep that serial number on the firearm, but there's no problem for Congress to require that the manufacturer serialize that number so that it can be tracked. So 
it's a complicated question, but no, you can't just say, well, we'll, we'll just run all the gun manufacturers out of business and that'll solve that. I'm still trying to get past the idea that I can own a cannon to defend my home. I'm still on that one. Let's go to the phones and speak with Sterling in Oxford. Sterling, we're so glad that you have called in today. What's your comment or question for our show with our attorney, Reed Martz, talking about gun-owning rights? Hey, thank you for taking my call. Um, Reed, I would love to hear you talk a little bit about the Church Security Act. Uh, and I know it provides some immunity um, in a way, so I, I think it would be great just uh, to hear you talk a little bit about that. Well, good morning, Sterling. Uh, for those who don't know, and no one would know, I, I know who this caller is. And I, um, I, Sterling and I have been through some church security training for themselves, so several uh, for ourselves, for our church. Uh, several years ago, the Mississippi legislature put in place a uh, law that says it's called the Mississippi Church Security Act that says if you have an enhanced permit, then you can be part of a volunteer security team. There are some requirements about the church having uh, approved the team and keep the members on the roll uh, roster or something of that sort. But it provides uh, primarily um, a uh, an immunity should someone be killed or injured as a result of those church security activities. It doesn't require churches to have a security team or anything else. It, it mainly this provision for um, immunity against various charges uh, after you've met the requirements for that team. Thank you so much for bringing that up, Sterling. We're glad that you've called in today. Email us with your questions. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. We're talking with our guest, attorney Reed Martz, about gun rights ownership and what our gun laws are. We want to we wanna know what the laws are. And as I've said before, if, if you don't like them, then you need to run for office or you need to find out the viewpoints of your elected individuals and let them know your viewpoints. Where do you go to get a permit to carry a firearm in Mississippi? If you'd like to know that resource, I will tell you next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert host. I'm Liz Gill. We do hope you'll subscribe to our podcast, or you can find all the MPB Think Radio recordings from the website mpbonline.org slash radio. That's also where you can go to listen live to Think Radio or Music Radio. Today we're talking about gun rights with our guest, attorney Reed Martz. Now, where do you go to get a firearms permit in Mississippi? It's the same place you go to get your driver's permit. It's our Department of Public Safety. I like that idea, public safety. I'll have a link to their webpage on the information for this show. We're trying today to answer your calls and also give you some information. We have another call to go to. Let's go to David in Grenada. And see, this is why we ask people where they're from, because David in Grenada is not David from Horn Lake. So David from Grenada, we're glad you've called in today. What's your comment or question? Hello. Uh, I was I was uh, curious about something that I 
I'm ignorant of, and uh, I, I don't want to be ignorant all my life. So, uh, but it's uh, changing the subject just a little bit, but it's still talking about. I want to go to instead of the Second Amendment, I'd like to ask a question about the Fifth Amendment, and in particular, uh, it says that uh, if the government uses your land, they have to justly compensate you. And so, my land was uh, seized, and uh, I was never paid anything. And I was wondering, can you explain that? I, I, you know, I, I wonder under what circumstances it was seized, and if, you know, if it was, you know, if it was condemned for building a road or something like that, uh, then you are entitled to just compensation. Um, now there are seizures that require due process still, uh, but you know, for example, I'm not saying this is with you, but um, if I were involved in say a you know money laundering case. Uh, and the government seized that, th- those funds, that would be kind of a different situation. Uh, there are provisions that allow that, um, again, with, with due process. But, um, yeah, so it depends on the circumstance. But, Reed, do you, I, I mean, to me, that's, you know, if, it's, if the government takes your property for government purposes, they have to compensate you. Yes. So the Fifth Amendment says that no person shall be deprived of life, liberty or property without due process of law. So in in David's situation, I don't know what the circumstances were and and whether he got his due process or law, but that's what the Fifth Amendment uh, requires. So, Well, David, I hope that you will get some uh, further information so you will be learned and not ignorant on the the topic. And, hey, that we always love it when people call in and we'll suggest that as a topic for another show. Right now, we have an email I'd like to go to. It says, uh, if someone has been convicted of a felony 20 years ago, but the felony was a nonviolent crime, do they have the right to own a firearm in their household to protect their family? Uh, the simple answer to that is no, uh, they do not. The age or the type of the felony are irrelevant under the federal statute that I mentioned earlier, as well as under most state statutes. Uh, they, it simply says uh, felony conviction without a distinction about age or anything else. Now, having said that, there are a, it's a very complicated area of law um, about restoration of rights and the various options that you might have. I expect it's going to change fairly substantially. Uh, well, I know it's going to change fairly substantially over the next few years. It has changed substantially in the less than the last year since the Bruin decision came out regarding uh, who can be disqualified in, in what circumstances and parts of this federal statute have already been uh, overruled. So um, it, it's going to change, but I, the, the answer is no, you can't just say, well, it was a long time ago, it was nonviolent, and so I should be able to own a firearm. Uh, you put yourself in great jeopardy for either federal or state charges by doing so. Thank you very much, guest attorney Reed Martz. That, that Professor Gershon, here we go. I've made another note on uh, another topic that we should have on our show. Right, and I think Liz, you know, one thing that we uh, we spend uh, some time on the First and Second Amendment. There, there are other amendments like the Fifth Amendment and the Sixth Amendment that are uh, important as well. The Eighth Amendment, um, and we don't uh, 
uh, most people don't really know what those talk about. Right? And uh, and so uh, I think there would be good topics. Oh, my gosh. But, we could just go down all the amendments. We could have a show on uh, on each amendment. We have one more caller who's waiting. That is Clayton, who has called in from Clinton. Clayton, we're so glad you've called in today. What is your comment or question? I have a, a Twitter friend who wrote, in 1791, the Second Amendment was written. In 1847, the bullet was invented. The Second Amendment only applies to muskets. Hmm. All right. There's a there's a, a a detail. What about Reed? Have you heard about the Second Amendment only applies to muskets, not to bullets? That's factually inaccurate. Uh, it, it's not the case there. Um, and, and we don't do that for any other amendment as well. I, I don't know why this argument keeps coming up, but. I, I don't think it's either factually or legally a sound argument. There are better arguments that someone who wants to uh, put restrictions on who can have uh, firearms or when they can have firearms can make than than that. But no, I mean, that's not accurate. All right. Well, we're so glad that we've got our guest attorney Reed Martz on our show today. And uh, Professor Gershon, let's continue on learning what some of the laws are. Yeah, but I will say, I think it's interesting because one of the things that we have seen about our Constitution is uh, it is, I think, interpreted as a living document uh, that that expands as we as society change. Uh, and, you know, that would incorporate both Second Amendment and Fourth Amendment rights. And, you know, and so you know, that's why it's regularly being interpreted. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, we have we moved away from segregation uh, to uh, to, you know, um, from Plessy versus Ferguson to you know, Brown versus Board of Education. We made that. You know, so, uh, you know, I think we have to look at it that way. But as, as Reed said, if we want to amend it, then let's let's amend it. And, and obviously it can be amended because we're talking about an amendment. And let's let's talk about how that amendment applies to concealed carry, Reed. And what do I need a permit to carry uh, a concealed weapon? Not in the state of Mississippi, you do not. Uh, Mississippi, as I mentioned earlier, is a permitless carry, and that applies to both open and concealed carry. Open carry has always uh, been permissible. Uh, there was a, a hullabaloo, wrongfully so, about a decade ago about so-called open carry, but it's in the state constitution. The state constitution says that uh, the right of every citizen to keep and bear arms in defense of his home, person, or property, or in aid of the civil power when thereto legally summoned, shall not be called into question. But the legislature may regulate or forbid carrying concealed weapons. Um, so that the, the constitutional protection, the Mississippi constitutional protection, applies to open carry, uh, but it permits uh, limitations on concealed carry. The Mississippi legislature uh, several years ago said that, uh, well, you know, first off in the 90s, we had concealed carry with a license. And then uh, more recently, we have permitless carry um, with or without uh, a license. So you can carry that on uh, loaded, open, concealed, unloaded, uh, whether it's on your person, in your purse, in your car, backpack, whatever you want. Are there limitations on that? I mean, there are places that if I even if I have a concealed uh, carry permit, 
Uh, can I be restricted from taking my concealed weapon into certain establishments? Absolutely. So there's a whole long list in the statute that I mentioned earlier, which is 459101. Um, and just, you know, some of those places include uh, courthouses, but there's an exception for that for enhanced permits, and, and, and that gets complicated. But, you know, government buildings, generally off limits uh that's state or federal uh you businesses that decide that they want to post against carrying have the right to do that and they can put up a sign that says uh, no concealed carry within this uh jails police stations you know again you can look at the whole list and see everything that's there but there are a number of places uh that you can't carry um a firearm we are so very grateful that we've got attorney Reed Martz on our show today. We can take your questions on our email address, legalterms at mpbonline.org. We are very appreciative that Reed Martz has been able to join us today. He has been on our show before, and I'll tell you when next. Thank you for being part of In Legal Terms. If you have missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show on the MPB Think Radio YouTube channel. I love my YouTube channel. This is also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill at 11 a.m. Central on Tuesdays, following our over-the-air broadcast, you can hear Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, with Dr. Susan Buttress on MPB Think Radio. We are very thankful and grateful that attorney Reed Martz has joined us in the past. We discussed HOAs with him on May 31st of 2022 and also June 18th of 2019. And we also had a discussion about gun rights on November 24th of 2020. You can find those podcasts to listen to. And if you're looking for more information about state laws concerning gun owners in the Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee area, Reed's website, MidSouthGunLawyer.com, has a lot of content. We'll have links to those pages on our page for this show. We're talking about gun rights today. We've got two phone calls and an email to get to. Let's first go to Cammie in Lower Alabama. Cammie, we're glad that you've called in today. What's your comment or question? Well, I'm not sure whether, you know, how you classify it. Um, But having spoken with uh, uh, a law enforcement officer, officer who told me that um, uh, if someone is looking, you know, is standing two or three feet outside your patio door uh, and has a history of doing some uh, damaging things, including theft and including I don't even know what else. Um, uh, uh he, I, I, what the, the gist of it is? He said, you know, um, okay. Well, I said, well, can I shoot him? And he said, well, no. 
you'll be you'll be charged. <laughs> I would be charged with homicide for defending the inside of my home against someone who is a known uh, drug abuser and uh, someone who has stolen things to support the drug habit. Um, Cammy, what? what's your what's question that? for our guest? My question is, why is it like that? Why is it that I would be the one who would be the criminal? Well, Cammy, if I could try to rephrase your question from uh, can you shoot this person, let, let, let's ask, do I have to shoot this person? Is, is this something where I have no other alternative? If they're outside their home, your home, they're, even if they're in the curtilage of your home, and that might be covered by the castle doctrine, and there's a presumption that they're there to harm you, do they have the means, opportunity, and ability to do so from outside the, your home? There's a big difference from a guy that's standing out there unarmed or holding a hammer and looking at you through a window and a, and a person who's standing there with a firearm looking at you through a window. Uh, one is much more immediate and imminent than the other. And so I, I get this question frequently. I'm not picking on you, but I want people's mindset to change from the idea of can I shoot this person to do I have to? Do I? Ha- is there any other option? Can I retreat to another part of the house? Can I call the police? Can I ensconce myself there? And if this person follows me into the re- the bathroom, well, then you may have no other opportunity. But if they stay outside your home, is it worth taking a human life over a piece of property, regardless of whether they've uh, victimized you in the past or not? I, I'm I think that's a very important question that any person who has a firearm or other lethal means of protection needs to ask, needs to understand. The question isn't, can I? The question is, must I? All right. That was fantastic. Let's go to our last call and go to Doug in Columbia. Doug, we're glad you've called in today. What's your comment or question? Hey, good morning. Uh, first of all, thanks for that uh, remarkable answer uh, to that last question. That is such a, a clear way to reframe the question. I appreciate that. I, I just need a little clarification on the earlier description of the state's ability to restrict gun ownership uh, based on felony convictions and other maybe other factors as well based on the law. And when, when I heard you read the constitutional language, it sounded like it was any citizen or all citizens, and I didn't hear with the exceptions of. So, um, and you may have mentioned it. I was driving and just didn't hear it. So, uh, could you clarify that, please, sir? Certainly. So, what the the Constitution provides, the Mississippi Constitution, Article Three, Section Twelve, the right of every citizen to keep and bear arms in defense of his home, person, or property, uh, shall not be called into question. You're correct, uh, Doug, that there's no qualifying language of every citizen except those with a felony conviction or a domestic conviction, uh, domestic violence, misdemeanor conviction or addicted to uh, drugs or alcohol. There's no sort of qualification there. However, um, that would be unusual. There, there's no sort of qualification like that in pretty much any other uh, constitutional protection. 
nothing is absolute. So the fact that it says the right of every citizen, I don't think means every citizen under all circumstances. Uh, what is trying to be recognized there is um, this idea that uh, you know citizens in good standing with the state who have not had their fundamental right removed or restricted for some reason have these abilities. But you will not find many situations where uh, language that appears absolute on its face is actually interpreted to be such. Thank you very much. All right. So, uh, Attorney Reed Martz, we have one last email question I want to get to in the last three minutes of our show Could you please discuss the Department of Education decision to allow school staff to carry firearms? Okay, Uh, so this question doesn't specify whether or not we're talking about um, right now or later this year. So there's this legislation on its way to the governor right now called the Mississippi School Safety Guardian Act, which... um, will provide slightly different, but there had been this law for a number of years. Uh, Last year, the Department of Education came out and clarified that school policies weren't going to um, prevent people from doing what the legislature had said they could do. So we had this situation for years where the law said that uh, you could carry a firearm if you met certain qualifications, training requirements, and so forth within a school uh, but the uh, education bodies, IHL and um, other schools were saying, well, no, uh, we have the right over our employees to prevent them from doing so, that um, there was some change in those rules. I think it was last year, 2022, to bring them in line with state law from a decade earlier. I mean, it was really a situation where the rules did not keep pace with the law. So if that's what they're referring to, uh, I think that it was simply these uh, agencies catching up with what the legislature had already done. Um, And then we've got this other uh, act that has not been signed into law yet, hasn't gone into effect. And so it wouldn't be uh, something for today that would um, be in play just yet. And we assume that the governor is going to sign it. There's no guarantee. Well, Reed, we've got about uh, one and a half minutes now. What is some last message you would like to leave our listeners with concerning gun rights? Well, I would just simply encourage everyone to get an idea, to to understand what they're talking about as uh, they try to debate the merits of what we need to be doing to control gun violence um, or violence with guns is the way I, you know, violence is violence. Whether you use a screwdriver or a hammer or a firearm, violence is violence. And that's the problem. So let's figure out what is it that we can do and what we need to change here. Because the guns are owned by a larger percentage than they have been in the past, but not so significantly that these things like this seems like, a pretty regular occurrence that we have these mass shootings. What has changed? It isn't the prevalence of firearms that explains it. It isn't the capacity of magazines that explains it. Those things have been fixed for a long time. What is it about our society and how do we address that? 
We are so very grateful that you were able to join us today. Thank you so much for coming on our show. My pleasure. You're welcome. That's going to wrap us up for today's In Legal Terms. Our legal team consists of board engineer Jay White and Jermaine Flood is our podcast producer and was also our call screener. So for Professor Richard Gershon, who hosts from the University of Mississippi School of Law, I'm Liz Gill. We do hope you'll join us next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.